A good Nair Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. And I'm sure the war in Eretz Yisrael is still uppermost in all our minds. We pray every day. We're davening, saying Tehillim. The ladies of the shul have been amazing in all their spiritual Tehillim and all the amazing things they do, as well as the men in the shul are strong in their learning. I want to, uh, and you'll see this Shabbos, we'll be sending out a special Mishaberach on behalf of all the children that we have that are either learning or fighting in Eretz Yisrael. And I want to share with you two observations that many of us probably are encountering. And I want to respond to it based on a talk from Rabbi Yohu Diskin from Eretz Yisrael. First observation, going back to the 1920s at least, the evil Arabs, not all the Arabs, but the evil Arabs, those who were aligned with the Mufti in the earliest 20th century, and then it morphs into uh, Nasser and Sadat, and then Hamas. Did you ever notice they never give up? Okay. They never give up. They try. They do suicidal things. They get walloped. They get hit. And they keep coming back. That is something to think about. Why is that happening? And how is that happening? And another question. It's the other side of the coin, really. All we want is peace in Eretz Yisrael. It would help Eretz Yisrael so much if there would be peace, if they wouldn't have to send, spend such a large amount of their budget on defense. So much better things could do. There'd be less wrangling between the left and the right, where to spend the money. There'd be a lot more money to spend for Haredi schools, for Haredi needs. Why can't we ever have any peace? These are two observations. And I want to relate this to the Parsha here. As well, there's another thing that, you know, we are quote-unquote bracing ourselves for. It's coming soon, although the weather's been pretty nice this week. But we all know we have the quote-unquote harsh Canadian winters. Every year a harsh Canadian winter cars getting stuck, snow days, etc., etc. And because of that, I'm not blaming anybody. Many of us have to go to Florida so we can get out of the cold and live lives that we can enjoy. So I want to share with you three uh, questions. Three questions. We know that Hashem is loving and kind and all-powerful. We... We know how amazing are your actions that you do. But if, you know, I'm going to just play the devil's advocate for a moment. And, you know, I'd like to offer some suggestions for optimization and improvement of the world to the Almighty, if I may. And here are three questions, or better yet, suggestions of what, if Hashem, if I was creating the world, devil's advocate, I'm, a, I'm stressing that, I would have done things differently. 
Number one, David Amelon says that the years of a person in this world are 70, and if you're very strong, it's 80. And our life is like a, a flower that withers, the shade that moves, the cloud that flies away, the wind that blows, like a dream that flies away. Wouldn't it be better if we could live eight, nine hundred years? As they say in Talmudic parlance, a portion that's significant. We could accomplish so much more. It's interesting, the Piazetzna Rebbe in his Sefer Tzavazerus, right in the beginning, talks about this. He talks about how man really needs many, many years till he can finally develop into the person he's meant to be. And finally, when he's 50, 60, 70, he really understands what Avodah Hashem is. But by the time he understands it, you start getting sick and sicker, and then you die. He says, what frustration. And therefore, he suggests that people write uh, spiritual diaries for something to be left after they leave this world. So here is my suggestion to God, as it were. Hashem, I'd like us to live eight, nine hundred years now, so I really have a good chunk of time to do what I have to do. Number two, suggestion to Hashem to optimize and improve our experience in this world is have a world without any sickness. You know what sickness has done to this world? Just let's look at the Ontario healthcare system. It's putting the government in very difficult straits having to decide who to help, who not to help, who to give Ohib to, who not to give Ohib to. Hashem, you're all powerful. You can do whatever you want. Just have us all be well. All the suffering will be gone. Can you imagine what kind of suffering happens? Hashem, you created the world to give man pleasure. What kind of pleasure is this, all this suffering that we have? And the third suggestion not as important as the first two, but surely a good suggestion. Why can't life in Canada, you know, be like the Bahamas? <laughs> you know, in Canada, you got for some, some hot, and when it's hot, it's really hot, and cold, it's really cold. The weather keeps changing, it's uncomfortable. Why can't you just give us climate a climate-controlled world? Where it's always 71 degrees, 24 hours a day. If you love us so much, Hashem, why couldn't you give us a longer life without sickness, with good environment? Those are my suggestions to have God run the world in a much more pleasurable way. But of course, the answer to all those questions is guess what? The world is 5,784 years about a third of the world's history, 1,656 years to be precise, or if you want to add on, 1,996 years. That's exactly what God did. Until the model that happened in 1656, during all those years, people lived long lives. We saw that in last week's Parsha. Mr. Shalach even lived 969 years. Most people, a good eight, 900 years. 
Similar, there was no sickness in the world. The Malban and the Seferno talk a lot about this. And the reason why people were healthy, because the climate was a healthy climate. It was a climate of 71 degrees comfort control climate. So Hashem listened to my suggestions, as it were. But here's the question. So why it was so good, why did Hashem stop it? And the Gemara in Sanhedrin goes into great detail. If you want to check out, look in Daf Kuf Chesamet Aleph. Shows about the source of the arrogance of the people of the generation of the flood. Because of all the bounty that Hashem gave them. And I'm not going to go through all the psukim. But the bottom line is, Hashem says, with all the good that I bestowed upon you fellows, you're angering me more and more and more. And therefore I will destroy you. What does that mean? The answer is the nature of man, when things are good, and especially very good, is to forget about Hashem. There's many psukim that say this. At the end of Sefer Dvarim, it says Yeshurun grew fat and kicked. Or other psukim, lest you eat and are satiated and you build beautiful houses and you have animals and money and this and all these things and then you forget Hashem. When a person is arrogant and he feels he can take care of things and they were going well, he figures, I don't need Hashem. And when you don't think you need Hashem, you go and corrupt your own life. And that was exactly the corruption of the generation of the flood that brought the world to extinction. So Hashem said, I tried that idea, Yossi. And as much as you think it's a good idea, it did not work. Clinical observations have told us that it does not work. And we know that Hashem loves us and cares about us. He wants the best for us. He does not want, and the best thing is we shouldn't be like the people of generation of flood who are so brutal, who are so terrible to others. So therefore, what does Hashem do? He brings situations full of pressure to humble us. Situations where everything's not going according to plans. And therefore, instead of living eight and nine hundred years in this week's parish, Hashem says, let's cut it down to 120 maximum. If a person has eight or nine hundred years in the bank, he feels he's got a treasure chest that's overflowing and he doesn't need Hashem. Let's cut him down to 70 years. Okay, maybe 80. And with kindness, maybe you'll make it to 120. Why? So that one should not bloat up his hubris. Okay? And that would lead him to forgetting Hashem. If you have a shortened life and on top of a life of difficulties, tests, sicknesses, they can humble a person's heart to know that his life and his health is all in the hands of Hashem. And this is where the great lesson comes for all of us. A lot of people think, if my life was all in order, I have a good parnasa with good health, a good friends, then you know what? Then all these problems 
would be away from me, I'd be like a great tzaddik, like let's say Rabbi Akiva Eger, or any other tzaddik you'd like to pick. If I only had things going the way they should, I could be great in whatever, I could be a, a, a reichman in terms of tzedakah, whatever. But the answer is that's all fantasies and dreams because if everything in your life was in order, it will not turn out better. You'll get exactly a door hamabal. You'll get the flood because when the everything was good, that's what we got. The fact that any of us have any taste and pleasure and feeling of our during our prayers a little bit, a little bit of amunah bidacham, it's only because we have to contend with the difficulties that pass through our lives. Those who feel that everything is going my way, they are the most forlorn because they become Balgaivas, and in Balgaivas there's no place for Hashem in their lives. Once a Talmud Chacham was a Marbitz Torah, and he wants and good mitos and everything, older person, he says, I owe all my life and my successes to the quote-unquote, friends that I learned with in yeshiva when I was a small boy. As I was growing up in the yeshiva, they were jealous of me, and I suffered bitterly from them. I went through a difficult point in life, and that caused me to be humble and to pour my hearts in prayer. And therefore, I was able to establish the reality that I have right now. Now, if you would ask a little child in school, why did the man fall for the Jews for 40 years? The simple answer is because there was no food in the desert. But the real answer is, as the Torah says it twice, Hashem says to Moshe, I'm going to bring man, so I can test the Jews if they will go in the ways of Torah. And it's said again in Parshas Akev that I, Fed you man for 40 years. In order to test you that I can bring good for you at the end. The whole point of the man was to test us, to test our amuna, for us to have to contend with the fact that who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. To test what kind of amuna do we have in difficult situations and how do we relate and contend with life in those situations. Now, that was the purpose. And Hashem Bedavka made it hard. A desert where it's very hard to be in a desert. And you have to come on to all kinds of miraculous things. And do you do you trust Hashem? It will take care of you. Now, there are times in our lives when we're during a difficult time, there are three ways of reacting to it. The first two are wrong, and the third one is the one you want to have. One situation, whatever the difficult thing, let's say you're, you're, you're sick, or someone in your family is sick, you're, you're not having good partners, whatever it is. Many of us feel that, you know what? I have to deal with this problem. I have no time to do mitzvahs properly. I have no time to learn. I'm putter from davening in a minion. I'm a putter from working on my needles. Because I got all this on my plate. That's for sure wrong. There are stronger people who says, well, life isn't going according to plans, but we have to somehow survive. And it's like a bedieved situation. This isn't the optimal situation. And that's also not correct. 
The correct way to understand the challenges in life is not that the challenge in life is messing up with the program and the program's got problems. But the truth is, in Hashem's, from Hashem's perspective, the trials and tribulations of life, they are the program with a hey hayadia. That's what the program is. 40 years of the man coming down. All the tests were for what? So I could test you with hardships. Human being was not brought down just to have physical pleasures. He came in this world to delight in Hashem and take pleasure in the radiance of the Shechina, as Mrs. Sherm says. And the way to acquire that is through standing up to tests in our lives and to contend against and cope against difficult situations. And the more that a person successes, succeeds in coping with these, he gets closer and closer to the goal for which he was sent in this world. The truth is it's impossible to run away from difficult things. They are always there. They will never leave. And the proper way is to know that Hashem wants us to cope with them. And that coping is what builds up our dynamic structure of who we are. And anybody who thinks that without those difficulties, life would be better and more fortunate are making a huge mistake. These are false illusions. And the truth of the matter is, without them, let's figure it this way. Without them, what happened to the Dora Mabel? They got wiped out. On the other hand, the Dor Hamidbar, they may not have made it there, it's Yisrael, but they succeeded in being the Dor Deo. It's interesting, a person once went to Rav Aryeh Leib Steinman, Zichmar Levacha, and he goes to him and he wants a bracha, and he asks, says why he wants a bracha. He says, I'm about, I'm on the stage now in my life, my children are older, and I got to marry off a lot of children. You know, in Eretz Yisrael, if you're a, you know, a Haredi guy learning in Shiva, it's not an easy situation. You know, a kid gets married, they need money, they got to buy an apartment. There's a lot of financial headaches. So he says, I'd like to ask from the Rosh Yeshiva a bracha that I'm able to have to spend the minimal amount of time regarding uh, borrowing and collecting debts and things like that. As I get better shidduchim, I don't have to collect so much money. So Simon says, do you want your wife or kids, God forbid, to be sick? He says, what? He says, this world is all, and to say it in Hebrew, is a neve hatolaos, is a place with the beauty of hardships. There are always difficulties and tests, and we're not meant to run away from them. Without having to cope and contend with those hardships, you will never reach any levels that you're meant to reach in this world. Those issues that we have to deal with in life, they forge and build us up. And if I bless you with what you're saying, that means to bless you without any issues to cope with, you'll have to find something else. And therefore, if you don't want to deal with that, with money issues, how many other issues? Ramosha Feinstein, one of his, one of his famous chuvas, was talking about... Uh, uh, amniocentesis, 
which is a procedure that was done to see if there's any flaws with the child in the embryo. And if you know there's a flaw, you can uh, have an abortion. So somebody asked the Shiloh to Rav Moshe, not that they were planning on having abortions, but the wife was very nervous and she wanted to know if she could take an amniocentesis. So at the time that the tshuva was written, it could be outdated in terms of medical practice. There was a slight danger to the woman when she takes the amniocentesis. And God says, why should you even have a suffix sakona to the woman just to know what's going to happen? What are you going to do if you find out the child is, is not healthy? Are you going to really abort a child like that? And he says like this, and this is the powerful message. He says, if you think that you can avoid sorrows in life by medical knowledge and say, oh, it's going to be a, a not healthy child. Let's abort it. We don't have the problem. He says, you, Hashem is going to give you other problems. You, We're all meant to have challenges. The word problem is not a good word, but that's how we look at it. Growth opportunities that come with having to contend and cope with difficult situations. And if Hashem sends you exactly what situation you need, I know it's hard for us to believe, but if Hashem sends us a child with very special needs, that is what's going to make you the best person you can be. Otherwise, Hashem wouldn't bring it. And we want to avoid all that. And if you want to avoid that, you may avoid that. Then you're going to force Hashem to bring you something he didn't plan on giving you. That's going to be much harder to cope. Why? Because you have a rule that when Hashem gives you a test, he gives you the ability to cope with it. And if you don't want that test, then you, you got, quote unquote, you happen to get another one. That wasn't the one Hashem wanted to give you. And therefore, you don't have the ability to cope with that. But if you look historically, when children, when families give birth to a very special needs child, whatever, it could be a, a physical handicap, sorry to use that word, but that's the word that's easier to use, a mental handicap, whatever. After many years, if it's a family that's really grounded in spirituality, and you'll ask you, so how are you doing with your pekala, with your, with your load? And they'll say, pekala? You call this a pekala? This is a treasure of great life for us. Our whole house was built in the merit of this treasure. All the children in the family became more sensitive to this child. Chesed, emuna, bitachon, tefillah, kirvas elokim. Our family became great because of this child. Because we realized that that is what Hashem is giving us. And that's how we get built up. As they call it, the school of hard knocks. But not the secular school of hard knocks. It's Hashem's school of hard knocks which is meant to knock our foolishness out and to really become dovuk to Hashem. Rabbi Yitzchak Kutner, Zichron of Racha, commented in all the books written about Gedolim, that when the Godel, you know, as if they were born as angels, when they were one years old, they started learning Aleph Beis, at three years old, they started learning Chumash, at six years old, they already know uh, three tractates of Talmud. This is all imaginations of the author. You know what? A child who's three years old and doesn't like to play, he should immediately go to a psychologist. He's not going to come out normal. And he can't be a Godel Yisrael. He says all Gedoli Yisrael had to cope with difficult situations that passed them. 
and their coping built them up. In the end of the day, that's what Hashem says about the mon, Lamana Noscha, so that I should test you. Lamana Sosecha, why? To to make it good for you at the end. And that's what Hashem said in the story of the Mabel. The Yetzirah of man is evil from his youth. And the Gemara and Bracha says the Yetzirah is like a zvuv, a fly. And it goes between the two entrances of the heart. It's based on the Pasuk and Goelis. Chavetz Chaim explains like this. The fly keeps coming back. Once again and again and again. You ever have a mosquito that's just driving you crazy? Even if you chase it away, comes back. So too the eight Sahara. You send it away, it comes back. And we can add another point over here. It's not that the fly just comes back, but he comes back with a renewed energy to take another bite out of you. He comes fresh, ready to go, as if it's the first time he's going after you. You've sent it away a hundred times, but it keeps coming back a hundred times fresh. And you can beat it up and beat it up, and it keeps coming back, not as a wounded fly, a mosquito, but as a healthy mosquito trying to get that fresh bite out of your flesh. And that's why the Gemara Kedushin says the Yetzirah of a person renews itself and gets stronger every day and tries to destroy us. And if Hashem wouldn't help us, we couldn't do this. It's very hard to contend with an enemy that is always coming with renewed vigor, even after the hundredth time. We have to know our enemy. So boy side with this explanation from Rav Diskin, we can now answer our two questions. We observe that Hamas never gives up. Why? Because they are the incarnate evil. The incarnate evil, like the Sahara, wants to destroy you spiritually. Hamas wants to destroy us physically and spiritually. They want to wear us down. And therefore, they come once and we beat them up. And guess what? They come back with renewed vigor and renewed strength. Every time they come in, they come with a new plan. Unfortunately, as horrific as it was, who would ever imagine the beastliness they would do? But they they get stronger every time they come after us. Because that is spiritual challenges. How come we don't have peace every day? I'm sorry to tell you, if we would have peace, there'd be no Jewish people. It's no different. Remember, my friends, the state of Israel, not the people of Israel, the state of Israel is a secular state. Their founding had nothing to do with spirituality, religiosity, and godliness. If anything, it was the opposite. It's sad to say, but it's true. And therefore, in a certain way, and Yitzhak Rabin, who didn't have any Torah as a background, so you can't fault him for his errors, he had a big policy. If the, if the Arabs will get to know us, they will love us. When Hashem hears that, he says, that's the death knell for the Jewish people. Everywhere in the world there is assimilation, except in Israel. Why? Because the Arabs want to kill us. If we would have peace... What would happen? Now, our emotional side says, of course we want peace. But think about it. We have a lot of peace in America. What's the assimilation rate? A lot of peace in Canada. Throughout the world, there's a lot of peace now. What's the assimilation rate? 
Why does Israel not have assimilation? They're more secular than many of us here. The answer is they can't. Hashem won't let it. And that's why Hashem is having us contend. We want to go to a place where it's going to be hunky-dory. We want to be in a land of Israel where we have science and technology and we come with the greatest breakthroughs and we don't have to spend any money. We'd like to not spend any money on, on fighting wars. That will be just like Americans, just like Canadians, and just like Mabulites, my new term. That's unfortunate reality when you have secular people who just want to be like the secular world. It's hard to believe it. But Hashem says, I know you can't be better than that. You can be truer to your reality. And as soon as you understand this, I don't have to do this. But right now, I have to give you things you need to cope with. And as you see the miraculous hand of Hashem, the whole point is, Hashem is waiting for the leaders to start honoring and respecting the religious people and appreciate the good that they're bringing and maybe try to make changes in their lives. Hashem wants us to spiritually live forever, not to die as Kaifim and Apikorsim. And therefore, not only those who are in Israel, but even us, where we have you know, to cope with what's going on, to have family in Eretz Yisrael, have to cope with it. It's forcing us to dig deeper and to go into places we don't know where we really could ever have gone. To have deeper emunah Hashem, deeper trust in Hashem, feeling closer to Hashem. That's what it's all about. And only when you go through those difficult situations in life can you come to a deeper understanding of what the true realities of life are if you at least have an open mind and are able to see the realities of life. And you'll see that many of the great leaders that we have are the ones who have had to go through great stress. So therefore, let's not um, be depressed. Let's not complain. Hamas is going to be here as long as God feels Hamas needs to be here. And we can't say that during this period of time, well, it's so hard now, there's no time to learn. No time to do mitzvahs. Really? Look at the soldiers themselves who are at the front lines. They're finding time to learn dafyomi, as you're seeing in videos. People have lots of time to do mitzvahs. But if you're busy, um, you know, listening to all the uh, uh, politics that's going on, the social media, oh, I'm spending a lot, of, I have to do everything that's going on in Israel because after all, I'm the biggest, smartest person who has to make all these decisions here. I don't have time to learn. I have to be looking at all the newspapers, all the media outlets. I don't have time to learn. That's the wrong approach. Or to say, well, it's not a good situation and we'll just try to contend with it as much as possible. It's not an optimal situation because after all, this war has gotten in the way of our plans. That's wrong. This war is the program, the regularly scheduled program. It's not we interrupt a regular scheduled program of calm, tranquility, and happiness and running on vacations. No, God is saying the program is this situation. This is the program, not an interruption of the program. Don't look at it as a bid event. This is initially the best thing Hashem wants. Why? For us to dig deep inside, each and every one of us has our scary skeletons for us to finally release them 
and to feel a tremendous closeness to Hashem. Of course, we never ask for these things. We don't want these things. But if Hashem is bringing it to us, then we have to embrace it. This is an optimal situation. Oh, I got to start giving lots of money now to Israel. People can complain. And then, you know, Shul needs membership and this, all these things. Who has so much money? Of course, I have to save enough money for my nest egg and all these other things. You know what Hashem is saying? Not really. The regularly scheduled program of having a big nest egg for retirement, that is not God's regularly scheduled program. And these things that are going to require a lot of money, Oh, what's going to happen to my vacation? What's going to happen to this? That's not your regular scheduled program. The regular scheduled program is they need money and you have the money to give it. <coughs> they need chesed. You got the time to give the chesed. This is not a bidyevet situation. It's lichat chila. This is initially the way Hashem is programming things. And you will see that great things are going to come out of this. Let me close with a story. Goes way back to January 24th, 1975. A very memorable magic night for 1,300 people that witnessed American jazz pianist Keith Jarrett perform a solo recital in the majestic surroundings of Cologne's Opera House. The uh, This concert would quickly become regarded as a classic and it was recorded at massed sales of four million it is the still the best-selling piano album of all time and remarkably the concert almost never happened now of course keith jarrett was a very hush of pianist but there was a young german student and part-time promoter who was an avid jazz fan, who was just 17 at the time, and she was responsible for organizing the concert. And at Jarrett's request, had arranged for a Bossendorfer 290 Imperial Concert Grand Piano to be provided for the show. Unfortunately, the Opera House staff wheeled out the wrong piano, a much smaller Bossendorfer Baby Grand. To make matters worse, it was a piano used for opera rehearsals and was in terrible condition and badly out of tune. Now for a renowned perfectionist such as Jarrett, who was fastidious about his pianos and possessed perfect pitch, the instrument was mamish, a toeva, an abomination. When he was given the news that there was no time to get a replacement piano, Jarrett threatened to cancel the show. Making matters worse, Jared was not in good shape. He had been suffering from excruciating back pain for several days. That was a result of a run of sleepless nights of concerts. And to cap it all off, his condition was exacerbated by an exhausting five-hour, 350-mile drive he made to Cologne from a concert given in Zurich. Given that situation, it was no wonder that the pianist was ready to call it a day. Thankfully, this uh, rookie organizer refused to give in and managed to cajole and pacify the pianist while Tignesian spent several hours trying to make that uh, baby grand playable and sound halfway decent, at least to an untrained ear. 
They managed to tune it, though couldn't do much to improve its tone and timber, which was defined by jangly high notes and a less than resonant bass register. And if Keith Jarrett thought that was bad enough, he had to contend with malfunctioning sustained pedals. Even so, the pianist wearing a back brace to give him extra spinal support eventually went onto stage at 11.30 p.m. and battled through pain and exhaustion to give one of his most memorable concerts ever. And if you will look it up in the record, it's called the Cologne Concert. It starts with a 26-minute improvised piece, which fills one side of the record. And people say it was amazing, it was unbelievable what he did. And the second piece of the evening was even longer, a 48-minute improvisation that spread over many sides of the record. And it was it was just incredible. And I'm not a specialist in pianists, so I couldn't tell you why it was so good. But he was forced to play in ways that are not normally played. And nobody would think of playing that way, but he played it that way because it was a rotten piano. And therefore, he couldn't fall in love with the sound of it, so he had to find another way to get the most out of it. So even though the piano was not to Jared's satisfaction, but for those of the audience who don't possess perfect pitch or or are not piano forte connoisseurs, the state of the instrument did not impact on their enjoyment of Jared's virtuoso performance. He was mesmerizing because of his tremendous skill and ability to adapt. And the Cologne concert record was not, was, wasn't Jared's first or last album but it remains the most significant and influential. That's, and so many people learned from that. So at the end of the day, the less than perfect piano, which Jared initially thought was his worst nightmare, turned out to be a blessing and a boon rather than a curse. Such are life's little ironies. Rabbi we're not talking about playing pianos. We're talking about playing the harp strings of our souls and our feelings towards Hashem and our feelings towards Yiddishkeit. And of course, we would love to have the grand piano of protection, the grand piano of life, but Hashem is giving us a baby grand. These men get very hard because you know what? We are people who can improvise with Hashem's help. So let us, and the main thing is the mood. Remember, this is not a situation that I cannot deal with. It's not a Bidyevit situation that's less than perfect. Remember, we have never gone off the program. And this is the program. And if we follow the program as lechatchila as initial, you'll see greatness will come out from us. Give it a little time. And we'll see how much Kiddush Hashem will happen. How much goodwill will happen. 
eventually this Yetzirah will be destroyed and will remain the better for it. Hashem should bless us with this confidence. Come into this Shabbos. This is Lechat Chila. This is where I have to spend my time the way Hashem wants us to spend the time. In Amir Hashem, you'll see a greater Klal Yisrael, a greater self, a greater community. And when we're all ready and got that all set, we'll have that day of Mashiach that should come be Meherav Yameinu. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Have a great Shabbos.